Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., today we're talking about how to prepare a talk or speech. Mm. You do a lot of speaking. I do. And it always goes well. <laughs> I'm going to... Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it always. <laughs> we've actually done episodes before. I think this is the third time we've talked about giving a keynote. Yeah. And we're starting to work on some material on StoryBrand's Guide to Giving a Keynote. Don't call us yet. We'll, we'll tell you. I prom- you, know, you know us. It's coming. We're going to tell you. Yeah, it's yeah. coming. But I'm actually just back from Northern California, and I spoke at a meeting of international leaders. So yeah. there was uh, it's mostly an American audience, but there were about 40 Russians, 40 or so Chinese delegates, uh-huh. uh, Taiwanese, and there were translators, Yeah, which I didn't fully realize. So I gave two speeches, and I was talking really fast, and after the first speech, somebody came up and said, hey, could you just slow down a little bit? <laughs> and, I'm, yeah. and so I started slowing down, and then, uh, the second speech, there's this joke that I talk about in the second talk. It's kind of a joke, but I'm kind of trying to make a point, and the point is, the more you trust someone, the more comfortable you are being naked around them, uh-huh. and the less, the more you want to... It's a much no, it more sounds, complicated I mean, point. riveting. It's, it's based on like this personality <laughs> theory thing, and it's uh-huh. all this kind of stuff. Well, in the middle of my talk, the Russian delegation falls out laughing. Okay. And there's 40 of them in the balcony, <laughs> and they, they can't stop. And I realize poor guy is trying to translate all this talk about (laughs) nakedness. So there there are 40 people on a plane right now to San Francisco back to Moscow or whatever going, what What? in the world? was that That guy? guy, I think he was going to (laughs) take off his clothes. (laughs) (laughs) But our guest today and next week, it's a two-part series, Yes, Andy Stanley. Oh, I love him. Yeah, he's pretty incredible. You've yep. done a lot of work with Andy, yep. right? I did a private workshop with Andy, and then actually I've done three private workshops with his organizations. Yeah, so if you don't know who Andy is, because you know you lived under a rock, yeah. <laughs> he's the founding pastor, I think, of North Point Church. Yep. And that's what he's known for. He's also one of the most sought-after business speakers on the planet. He is also, I would say, the best speaker I've ever heard. Yeah. Home run every single time. When home you asked me, like, every time it goes great. And it's like, well, but I have never seen Andy not hit a home run. No. And he does five things in order to prepare for a talk. And they're worth remembering. Yeah. I mean, if you're a teacher, they're worth remembering. If you're a, a leader and you have to even do meetings, mm-hmm. they're worth remembering. And it's really valuable stuff. Then we were at his place and I interviewed him. Then we just turned the microphones around. And he interviewed me for his podcast. Yeah. And we're actually going to feature both. Yeah. The first one is me interviewing him. And then next week, him interviewing me on how story relates to leadership. Yeah. And he taught in that podcast more than I did. Yeah. <laughs> so you actually get to hear the wisdom <laughs> of Andy twice. Yeah. But fantastic. Another thing I love about Andy, he's really introverted. Yeah. And I'm really introverted. Yeah. And he's one of the people that I respect the most. He's just mm-hmm. an amazing guy. In fact, I even told my wife, I said, you know, I'm going to spend some time with Andy Stanley, meaning he has hired me to come in and take his whole organization through Storybrand. Yeah. And she said, is he going to help you? Because <laughs> <laughs> he just knows. Yeah. Well, she was just assumed, like, you need a counselor. Yeah. I got to work with North Point three different times with a couple of their different campuses. And mm. at the last one, Andy was there. And I came in kind of making a joke about how I said, Andy, I know your staff has told me I'm not allowed to look you in the eye. (laughs) And it was easy to make that joke because that's so not him. I mean, he leads this huge organization. He speaks to thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of people every year and is so down to earth. And 
he was very, very kind. Like he was, and he was in, I mean, he was not just like sitting back and kind of, he was in, he was there to learn. He was there to lead his team. It was really fun to watch him lead that group. And then the day after he sent me the nicest text. He actually tracked down my phone number and sent me a text. Wow. And I actually... Not surprising. I took a screenshot and I sent it to my mom. I literally did. <laughs> I don't do that because I get you know kind messages from people. And I'm like, if my 20-year-old self could see now that Andy Stanley was right. texting me and I got a chance... I mean... And how great just, for your mom. Your mom probably... She, like, yeah. You could have won an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. And your mom went, oh, that's good. Yes. But a text for Andy's like, my son has arrived. Yeah, it was really... It was a very... Because he's that special. Like, he's just that good of a guy and does so many good things for so many people. It was an honor to work with them, but it's like sitting and even just listening to the interview of what he has to say about just speaking is unbelievable. Well, you know, his final point, which is make it memorable, is the thing that I'm going to work on next in all my talking. He's one of the guys who has institutionalized StoryBrand really well. Yeah. And it's been fantastic. And if you're trying to institutionalize this, call our office because there's different yeah. custom packages that we can put together and you can understand the framework better and learn to communicate. Awesome. What was really funny is this is the best communicator in the world and we're going in teaching him a communication yeah, yeah. framework. This is hilarious. <laughs> well, I think that's probably why he's the best, right? He yeah. just like drinks this stuff yeah. up. Anyway, today's conversation is with Andy Stanley live, or, well, not live, recorded in Atlanta, <laughs> Georgia. And Andy goes through the five things he does to prepare for a talk. It's a, not a very long interview. I think we went 25 or 30 minutes. And you're absolutely going to love it. And then, JJ, when you and I come back, I'd like to just go through it with you and talk yeah. about you know, why each point is really important. So yeah. JJ and I are going to pontificate mm. on the wisdom of Andy Stanley when we're done with this interview. But right now, let's hear from Andy Stanley. Andy, we're both using the same interview. You're using it for your podcast. Yeah. I'm using it for mine. I know. So I'm going to go first. Thanks for being on. <laughs> no, I don't know what to thank you for being on the uh, Andy Stanley Leadership Thank podcast. you for being on Building a Story Brand. <laughs> you and I have known each other for quite a, a long time, and we met at Catalyst Conference. I say it was 10 years ago. I don't know. But it was a long time ago. Yep. And I was pretty new to the speaking world, and that was by far the biggest crowd I've ever, might still be the biggest crowd I've ever been from. <laughs> you spoke after me, and you were kind of the closer, and when you spoke, you had like blank lines for people to fill out. Oh, yeah. You had, I think you might have had one point. I mean, it was a very simple message. And I remember wondering, as a new communicator, okay, is Andy speaking beneath these people in the sense that, you know, there's 10,000, 40-year-old business people in the room. I remember having that question. And 10 years later, I'm talking to a lady. She was actually at that conference. And I asked her, you know, what do you remember? And she remembered every point that you had. And then I said, do you remember any of the other speakers? She said, yeah, I remember so-and-so spoke. And I said, do you remember that I spoke? And she did not remember <laughs> that I spoke. Here's what you taught me. And I don't know if you've ever viewed it this way. I prepared a speech that time and I wanted it to be entertaining, I wanted it to be informative, I wanted it to be interesting. You guided people through an exercise in memorization. You wanted them to remember very right. certain things as you walked off that stage and they walked out of that arena. Ten years later, the woman remembered not just that you spoke and that you were good. She remembered your points. That helped me understand what I'm trying to get companies to do in their marketing. I'm trying to get companies in their marketing to do what you did and do every Sunday at church guide people through an exercise in memorization. And it was groundbreaking for me. And I'm wondering, how do you do it? How do you prepare? What are you thinking about when you sit down to prepare a talk? Have you ever viewed it that way, that you're guiding people through an exercise in memorization? Well, let me tell a quick story that was 
a defining moment for me in that regard. When I was in graduate school, however many years ago that was, like a lot, I was asked to speak at a chapel for a Christian high school in the area. I was living in Dallas. And so I was sitting in my little, you know, efficiency apartment. And I mean efficient, like you could do everything at one time (laughs) from one spot, one of those kind of apartments, you know, bars on the window, not a great part of Dallas. And I thought to myself, here comes another chapel, another unknown chapel speaker. These kids don't care. They're high school. It's Friday, you know, and I had all this stuff I'd planned and prepared because I was all geeked out. I was in seminary and and it dawned on me, okay, what are they going to remember? And I decided in that moment I was going to create a talk for high school students at a Christian school chapel that they would actually remember. That was actually my goal. And I taught this story from the Old Testament about this guy named Naaman, and he has leprosy. And I tell the whole story, and I finish the narrative, the Old Testament narrative, with this one idea, to understand why, submit and apply. To understand why, submit and apply. Sometimes God asks us to do things we don't understand. To understand why, submit and apply. So that was my talk. So I finish, you know, three years later. I'm standing in the college ministry of this same church, and I'm welcoming college students. And in walks this guy with some guys, and he looks up at me. He said, hey, you spoke at my chapel. I'm like, where? He said, here at the such and such, you know, academy. And he looks up and he says, to understand why, submit and apply, and just walked on in the room. Yeah. It really was a defining moment. I thought, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to take somewhat complex things. Was it that point when he yes. said that, that you went, that, I like that. I That's can still I see his do. face. He, he never, and the thing is, to your point when we talked earlier, he did not know my name. He didn't walk up and say, oh, you're Andy Stanley. No, he just looked at me. You're the chapel speaker to understand why submit and apply. I thought, that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And that, along with something I heard Gary Smalley say many years later, just for me galvanized this idea that um, memorable is portable and portable has to be memorable. And if my life ambition is to impart, you know, practical ideas and truth to people, then it's got to be memorable and portable. And I have, you know, that's been what's driven me ever since. I usually ask two questions when I'm in front of a big audience talking about messaging. And I say, what was Jeb Bush's plan for America back in the, in the primaries? I've never had anybody. Exactly. It's, I get crickets. He wrote a book on education. He wrote a book on immigration. He's a scholar. He was my choice. You know, he's the guy I wanted to win. And then I ask, what did Donald Trump want to do? And everybody can say it. Yep. And it's interesting that the country voted for There's a bunch of dynamics that you'd have to unpack. They could, voted for what they could remember. Yep. They, could vote, they voted for a narrative they could remember. And like it, like or goes, don't like the president. No, that that and, was, it was a messaging Well, at le- the last leader cast, two leader cast events ago, it was all business leaders. And I was trying to make this point, And I asked for President Obama's you know, one-liner, mm-hmm. Hillary's one I went through a whole bunch. And the only two... Anyone could even shout out from the audience, even halfway act. In fact, to your point, everybody else, it was kind of crickets because they all kept changing their songs. But, you know, hope we can believe in or hope and change and make America great again. Everybody knew. I'm like, there it is, because we should come back and just talk about this idea because I've never explored it, but I'm convinced it's true. People say when it comes to leadership, they say they want character, but they always follow clarity. Yes, they say they want character. We want somebody who's a great whatever, whatever. Yeah, but at the end of the day, we intuitively, instinctively follow clarity. And that's what we always say. People will not move into confusion. Yeah. They will not follow you if they're confused about yep. where you're taking them. Yep. Even if you're right. I mean, being right is almost irrelevant. If it's confusing, they just won't go. And then if you think about the narrative structure of it, 
Make America Great Again is roughly and elusively the climactic scene of a story. I'm with her. Yeah. Is not. I wasn't going to quote it. <laughs> exactly. No. Now, if, yeah. if she would have said she's with us, she would have got a lot more traction. Huh. But she said, I'm with her. So that's the story about you, not me. And then I don't know what the climactic scene is. Shining City on a Hill is, uh, yeah. you know, something that we're going to create together, you know, and so on and so on. So, you know, we're not talking about Republican, Democrat, or any sort of policies here. We're talking about just the importance of creating a clear message. I want to back up a little bit. Normally, if somebody is asked to give a talk, especially at the age you were at that college chapel, they are immediately thinking about themselves. They're thinking about, how am I going to come off? Are these people going to like me? Blah, blah, blah. Especially, I was high school, and even more so with high school students. That's, to me, right. one of the most intimidating environments imaginable. But yes, to your point. Keep what going. is it about you that you had already experienced the sort of Jim Collins paradigm shift where you're falling in love with the ideas more than yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about that as a, as a transformation yeah. or yeah. an evolution of a leader. What is it about you that early? And I'm asking you to brag a little bit or maybe explain something that happened that allowed you to care more about this audience understanding something than even knowing who you are or how you know, big a deal you are or whatever. You know, I asked Pete Carroll this question. Let me give you a little permission to sort of expound because Pete did. He's one of the few people I've actually asked a question like that to who did. He said, Don, you know, I had a lot of success early on. I just found out it was really meaningless and empty. And then I actually helped somebody else succeed. And it was just so much more life-giving hmm. that I just got hooked on that. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so it was a bit self-serving not to be self-serving. Exactly. That, yeah. I mean, that, really, Someone that's what he was saying. said that a long time he ago. He was saying, look, yeah. you know, I succeeded a lot. And I've just, you know, it was pretty much just depressing. <laughs> <laughs> then when I helped somebody else succeed, I was like, wait, this is this feels good. Yeah. I think the thing that breaks my heart, and I think for every leader, this is a question we should all wrestle to the ground. In fact, for every person, what breaks your heart? Organizations have been built around that question. Yeah. And the thing that has consistently broken my heart since college days when I first started in ministry was watching people make decisions that undermined their own success, undermined their own happiness, and undermined their own relationships. There's enough stress and there's enough things we can't control in life that are bad but to watch a person make decisions that's going to undermine their own future, that, to me, I think gets me more amped up than anything. Is it because you grew up in the house that you grew up I in that you, you were able to see it? Because you actually grew up in a house that, that produced wisdom for a living. I mean, that's what they did, <laughs> yeah. right? That was yeah, like, yeah. A, it was a machine. This is, yeah. this is, quote, unquote, what we sell. We yeah. sell wisdom. And is that why or— I don't know the answer to that. I just know that has always—I've just always felt like there's a path, there's a track, there's a decision-making pathway or story— that leads to a happier ending. And of course, as a Christian, there's a framework for that, but this is true for everybody. This isn't, that's not a Christian thing. That's just a, a thing thing. So I, I've just always been driven to help people make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. And so the way my dad would talk about it, he would, sometimes we would hear preachers and he would say, that guy doesn't have a burden. That's how he would say it. And that, what does that mean? Well, that was his way of saying, that guy is just spouting off information. He's just talking. There's not something on the inside of him that's driving him. And of course, back then it was always hims, not hims and hers. And so I feel like when I get up to speak, I don't feel like I'm ready. And, and this is in front of leaders or folks at our church. I don't feel like I'm ready until there's something inside of me that is more concerned about them getting what I have to say than them liking me. Hmm. And I'm like everybody else. I want to be liked. I don't want to look stupid or sound stupid. I just know, and I tell our communicators all the time, you know, until you are concerned about the guy on the back row who's not coming back, 
or the woman who finally got her boyfriend to come and he's going to give it one shot, if that person or that image hasn't grabbed you, you're not really ready. I mean, your outline might be perfect and your slides might be ready, but you're not ready because at some point this has to be about the audience, not, you know, the person standing in front of the audience. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Andy Stanley in just a moment. You know, I got to interview Andy because he brought me into his church. He actually had an all-staff meeting. 600 people came together. Andy and I uh, sat up on stage, and we had a conversation for about 40 minutes. And then we looked at their one-liners, these statements that they make. You know, we teach you how to create a one-liner. We looked at them. We edited. We reviewed them. Some of you are saying, man, I want this for my organization. Well, I have a strategy to stay married. I actually don't go on the road very often, but we have six or seven now facilitators who go out and do this kind of thing. It's called a private workshop, and people rave about it. I mean, companies have gone, I think the last lady I talked to, you know, this is a great, unique example. She went from losing a quarter million dollars a year to making $20 million within two years of having a private workshop. That's not the case for everybody, but for nearly everybody, they really do see rapid growth in business after they clarify their message. If you don't feel like you're on the same page with your team, if you feel like everybody is describing what you do differently, if you feel like your website describes what you do differently than your elevator pitch, differently than your emails, differently than your CEO's keynote, you need a private workshop. Just go to storybrand.com slash private, storybrand.com slash private, and inquire today. One of our sales reps will call you and talk to you and make sure that it's the right fit so you can get great results. Storybrand.com slash private. May we go through the five questions you ask when you're preparing sure. your talk? Sure, yeah. The first one is, what do they need to know? What is the one thing that needs to be communicated? It's on page 187 of your book, Communicating for a Change. Yeah, these are the five questions that I honestly keep in front of me. And when I get stuck, before I answer your question, when I get stuck, and I get stuck all the time, and when I do, that's when I pull out these questions because it's this simple. And usually I have, <laughs> I've confused myself. And if the speaker yeah. is confused... You're, you're lost in the weeds good yourself. Good luck for the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Howard Hendricks used to say, if it is a mist in the pulpit it will be a fog in the pew. (laughs) So if the communicator is the least bit confused, you know, good luck for everybody else. Let me back up. Why one thing? Why is it one thing that you want them to know? Is it because they can't walk out with two? Well, because, again, to what you said earlier, I want people to remember things. I want people to be in the middle of a decision and remember, oh, yeah, my friends determine the direction and quality of my life. My friends determine the direction and quality of my life. I want there to be enough rhetoric around these statements and balance around these statements that they actually pop into people's minds at critical times. So I don't think I can do that very well with three or four or five things. And, and I'm not against, you know, going through lots of information. And the context determines this. And you can if go this, through a ton of information as long as it's under the umbrella of one thing, right? I mean, well, you know. if people are taking notes, if they're going to get a handout, if this is something they have to do at work. So th- there's a difference, as you know, between training for a skill versus motivating and inspiring. So on Sunday, or when I'm in front of a you know a general congregation, I think I'm lucky if they can take one thing home. So I've decided I should probably determine you know what that one thing is. But as you know, people hear all kinds of things we yeah. said or didn't say. There's a little bit church across the street from the White House. And I can't remember if it was the first inauguration or the second of Barack Obama. But somehow I had a buddy in the administration. He said, hey, I got a seat for you in here if you want to sneak in. I snuck up into the balcony. Betsy and I did, actually. And watched you deliver the oh, first you were sermon. There? I was there. I was in the balcony. Oh, wow. I had a view of the president and you and 
everybody you can think of who has power was in that room. Yes, they were. And and uh, <laughs> you, you don't have to remind me, <laughs> man. You just hit it out of the park. It was really something phenomenal to watch. Walk me through you just preparing for that moment. Now, I had heard that very similar talk to that before uh-huh. that yeah. you had given, yeah. and I just thought this is just perfect for this room. But you know, you got people of all faiths, all stripes. Yeah. All, the president was glued to you like it was insane. I mean, how his eyes did not leave you. And you know what? And he, there are no cameras watching him. No, that's right. No reporters. Only one no. pool reporter in the room. This was like the real, no. the real deal. And you know, he wrote me, sent me a handwritten note after that. Yeah. And reference specifically what I said. And wow, I'll treasure that forever. Yeah, but yeah. but talk about intimidating because in that moment, I know this is a little bit off topic, you know, everywhere else you and I go to speak, we're speaking to a crowd. And that occasion, I was invited to speak to one person mm. while the crowd watched. <laughs> <laughs> and it just happened to be That's the terrifying. president yeah. of the United States. Again, but but with, I mean, you talked about how he should use his power yep. without coming off as a uh, condescending or sermoneering or any of that. It was just wisdom. Well, it was intimidating is what it was. Well, <laughs> it was I, the I longest great. the longest 15 minutes of my life. <laughs> and, and the greatest one of the greatest honors of my life. So. Yeah. Just reiterate what you said. Yeah. For this well, audience. I again, it has to be simple and it has so, you know, the question was what do you do when it dawns on you that you're the most powerful person in the room? Yeah. You leverage your power for the benefit of the other people in the room. And you gave these beautiful examples of Jesus got when he realized, you know, as the most powerful person in the room, he gets down on the knees and he washes yeah. somebody's feet. Yeah. He serves. Yeah. He serves, he serves, he serves. I wanted to use a New Testament narrative because everybody goes Old Testament because it's safer. Isaiah, you know, old Joshua, you know. But I want it to be New Testament. I wanted it to be Jesus. And obviously, I can't tell the most powerful person in the room what to do. But who other than the president of the United States or a, a, you know, a dignitary or a king from another nation walks into a room and every – I mean, think of it. Every single room you walk into, you are the, you are the most, most powerful, powerful person. person in the room. And that passage where somehow John knew that it dawns on Jesus that all authority had been given him. And the next thing he does is wash his feet. It's just – Yeah, powerful. it's mind-blowing. It's irrefutable. And, you know, you say you had a sermon for one person, and you did. But I sat there looking at Eric Holder. I sat there looking at Joe Biden. And unless the president is in the room, they are the most powerful person in the room. And they know exactly what that feels like. Every time. And you could tell almost to a person in their eyes was, this is extremely helpful because I haven't known what to do. Yeah. Right. Well, it, it was just it was really, really a neat moment. So, you know, the one thing you want them to know is, you know, uh, for the president is that the second question that you ask, why do they need to know it? And from page 188 of your book, answering why provides an incentive for your audience to follow you to the next part of your message. If listeners are not convinced they need to know what you're about to tell them, they will consider your information irrelevant. Yeah. Because these are the stakes. Here's what's yeah. at stake for you to Right. Knowing or not knowing this. And our tendency sometimes, and I struggle with this. I listen to all my messages. I watch. I mean, if you'll either, you'll either get better. Like a, that sounds like a nightmare for me to have to well, watch. if we have <laughs> a chance, I'll tell you a funny story about that. But anyway, so yeah, I watch my messages. And this is the part sometimes I skip because I get so excited about the what that I forget to bring people along the journey with me. So I have to stop and say, okay, you know, this is what I want them to know. But why is this? I've got to make them feel this or to the point of the book. Nobody's going to follow me on a journey that they don't feel like this is something they need. And 
you know, it's easy to skip that part because it's not new and it's not information. It's just kind of churning up, or as I talk about in the book, creating the tension. There has to be a mystery to be solved or a question to be answered or a problem to be solved. And so this is where you create incentive for people to go, wow, I wasn't thinking about that when I walked in, but you've got me thinking about it now. I hope you can deliver on this promise. So super important part. Okay. Three, what do they need to do? You're calling them to action. Yep. And the action can actually be a do. You need to walk out of here and do something specific. Or the do may be to think differently or to believe differently or to imagine differently or to respond differently. But there has to be, in most messages, not every message, but in most messages, there has to be a call to action. And again, the call to action in some cases for what I do, and even in talking to leaders, is sometimes just a think different or embrace a different perspective on something or see the world different or see people different. So again... You know, the more practical, but the it's better. A, it's a practical application yeah. that I can walk out yeah. and make this sometimes physical change. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. Why do they need to do it? Question four. Yeah, this you... forces me to cycle back around to the second question a little bit. So here's what you need to know. Here's why it's important. Here's what you need to do. And here's what's at stake if you don't. If you don't do this, you know, here's what you have to lose. Here's what's going to happen with your family. Here's what potentially could happen with your career or with your finances. So here's what you need to do. Here's why you need to do it. Again, it goes back to incentive, back to motivation, and a, and a bit of vision casting as well. Okay. And number five, how can I help them remember? And this yeah. is where I think you've leveled up beyond any other speaker. Well, you're kind to say that. And this takes a lot of thought. And it's yeah. so easy to skip this. And when I listen to our other communicators, and again, when I listen to myself, you know, you've put in all this work, all this hours of preparation, you've delivered the message, you've been interesting, you know, people have leaned in, nobody's fallen asleep. But 15 minutes later, nobody can say it back. It wasn't succinct. You didn't give me something mm-hmm. that was portable and memorable. And, and that portable, sort of memorable junk part. Junk in a sense, sugary. I mean, I don't want to yeah. throw anybody well, in the but you know. It felt. I felt great. Boy, I really liked that. What was it about? I don't know, but I liked it, you know, and all of that's important. But again, for me, and I don't know this is true for everybody or even if it should be, but for me, again, I want things to come to people's minds when they're making big decisions. And the only way to do that is to make it bite-sized and memorable and portable and to say it enough times that people can remember it. And for me, I've been, you know, speaking or preaching at North Point for 23 years. Hmm. There are things that I drop into messages that say it the same way over and over and over every five, six, eight messages, not to repeat myself, but there are some big life concepts. Overall theme. Yeah. I want the people in our congregation to get, not, you know, because they remembered it from a sermon, but hey, this is bigger than that. I mean, one for me is when it comes to money, it's give, save, live, give, save, live. You give first, you save second, you live on the rest. You give first, you save second, Mm -hmm. live on the rest. That's something that because it's memorable and portable, I can drop that in. You know, every time I talk to students, your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. Your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. So there's a lot of these big life principles that once they're condensed to something memorable and portable, they become part of the conversation. And so that's one of the great things about, again, being able to pastor in the same city with the same congregation for years. You create, you know, those kinds of things. But as you know, that's important in business. In, oh, I was about to business, say, it's there a has very to be similar, language. Yeah. yeah, it's a similar, in fact, I was just with some people on your team who do media and, and those sorts of things, and I used the, you know, imagine a little hoop, and there's a big brain on the other side of that hoop, and here's the message, the giant message that somebody's trying to get into somebody's brain, but if it won't fit through hoop. that hoop, it's not getting into that wow. brain. 
So you actually have to simplify it so it fits through the hoop in order to get to the brain. And I think that's what you're talking about. And when I meet with businesses about marketing and selling products, you know, like all this is really sweet, all this giant stuff that you're trying to communicate about your brand, nobody will remember any of it, which is not going to lead to a buying decision. Yep. We're really just talking about messaging, communication, what the brain can handle and what it can't handle. And what actually translates into action. It's, it's well, one very, of the great things about story brand, um, and I want to talk about that in a minute, is this whole idea that the picture or the word picture you use of using up brain cells or use, not brains, how do you say it, or energy or. Yeah, you burn calories. Yeah, there it is. Burning calories, trying to remember something or trying to decipher Just process the information. Yeah, to process information. That, I guess, in some ways, a different way of saying the same thing. But that's today as you walk through some of our elevator pitches with some of our staff and it was, hey, I, what? You know, there's too many commas. It's too long. It's too complex. The, the message is in here somewhere. You know, chip off some more, you know, rough edges so I can see yeah, yeah. it. So. Yeah. That's fascinating. I want to go through the five points again so everybody knows it. what do they need to know? Why do they need to know it? What do they need to do? Why do they need to do it? And how can I help them remember? Those are five questions. Man, write those down. And next time you have to communicate much of anything that's going to help an awful lot. And, and when and, you get stuck, you just come back to those five You questions. just come back to those yep, five. I do all the time. Yeah. I'm going to start using them because I think they're just absolutely fantastic. So, JJ, an interesting framework. Yeah. Yeah. Very easy to like sit down and just like put this in front of you every time you're getting ready, whether it's a staff meeting, yeah. whether you're launching goals for the year, whether you're just getting any new product out there within internal staff, anytime you're giving a speech at all. I would say even when you're getting ready to give a toast at a wedding, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's, well, you know what? The toasts are notoriously horrible yes! speeches. Yes, and, they're uh, the worst. Yeah. You know, it's like... A, they all start with, uh, well, you know, we lived in this crazy house, yeah. and it was such or, and so messy. I mean, there are stories <laughs> I could tell you, but I won't. <laughs> you know, like, you know. Yeah, anybody who's giving a toast at a wedding, please pick this yes. up. I want to go through them a little bit. What do they need to know? That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, what information do they need to know? But then you've got to motivate them. Yeah. So number two is why do they need to know it? And we would call those stakes at StoryBrand. Yeah. What are the stakes? What's going to be won or lost if they don't act on this? Yeah. What do they need to do? is number three, and this is direct application. We would call this a call to action. What is the direct thing they need to do? Mm -hmm. Why do they need to do it? And mm -hmm. this is probably, you know, if you think about number two, why do they need to know it? You could hit failure there. And number four, why do they need to do it? You could hit success, success. if you wanted to. And of course, those of you who are, who are story brand framework geeks know exactly yeah. what we're talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> and then how can I help them remember? And this is where I just think he's a genius. Yeah. And he just talks about the importance of reiterating yep. over and over and over. You reiterate, you reiterate, you reiterate. That's where we came up with, if you confuse, you'll lose. Yeah. We say that at every podcast. We say it every time we give the keynote. If you confuse, you lose. And what yeah. we're doing is we're doing what Andy does. We're helping people memorize why they need our product and service. Because if you confuse, you are going to lose. Yeah. You're going to lose money. You're going to lose respect. You're going to lose votes. You're going to lose. <laughs> yes. So this is just a terrific framework. Yeah. Here's what I do. Take out a piece of paper or <laughs> grab your computer. Uh -huh. Type in, one, what do they need to know? Leave yourself eight or ten blank spaces. Two, why do they need to know it? Eight or ten blank spaces. Three, what do they need to do? blank spaces. Four, why do they need to do it? Five, how can I help them remember? And by the end of it, you're going to have a great speech. Yeah. Or at least you're going to have the framework. Of yeah. Course. You're going to have to nuance it together. Yep. And string it together. 
but it's going to be good. But you have the reason why you're giving it. Yeah. I think a lot of times people just think, well, here's what I want to say. Yeah. And when you stop and stop making yourself the focus of the talk and make your audience, make them the hero of the talk and ask these questions, not only are you going to give a much better speech, but it will actually have an impact. Yeah. Especially if they can remember it. Yeah. Well, Andy, thanks for coming on. Listen, if you liked this interview, we've got a longer conversation with Andy Stanley. It's going to happen next week. He actually interviews me for his podcast, but we're featuring it on our podcast, too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's a wonderful conversation where we talk about the way the story brand framework relates to leadership. Yeah. And my main point in that is, if you want to be a good leader, act like the director of a movie. Mm-hmm. That is, tell everybody what the story is and give them an important role to play. Yeah. And you're going to see magic things happen. So tune in next week to uh, Andy Stanley's interview with me (laughs) on my own podcast. If that's not narcissism, I don't know (laughs) what is. If you haven't bought my book yet, it's called Building a Story Brand. You can get it on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or wherever you buy books. I'd love for you to pick it up. It talks about the communication framework that will help you clarify your message. It's the best place to start if you want to understand story brand and grow your business. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest EP, Dive Deep, Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.